It is good to see you this morning. There is this um, really sweet moment captured for us in the book of Mark chapter 12 and Luke chapter 21. It's not, it's not a story. It's not a parable. This was actually an event uh, that happened. And the Bible tells us that, that Jesus was sitting out um, and he was watching people um, as they would come into the temple and place their money um, at, at the temple like to, to give. And, and so the way it would work back in that day is there were these uh, large kind of uh, maybe trumpet-shaped or, or maybe, you know, uh, like a trombone with, you know, the, the, you know, put upside down, you know, where, where this kind of wide brim, it would go down, you know, made out of gold or metal or something. It would be on the outside, you know, of the temple, and, and people would come, and that's how they would give their offerings. And, and it tells us that Jesus was sitting there, and he was just watching people as they're putting their offerings in this container. And, uh, and, and first, he noticed that there were some wealthy people, he said, you know, giving, you know, large sums of money. Now, I don't know exactly, you know, how he knew it was like they were wealthy, perhaps in how they were dressed or how they appeared. Uh, and, and as far as, you know, how much they were giving, how would you know? Um, well, in that day, they would use coins, right? And so if you can imagine for a moment here that you've got this round metal container. And, and um, it, would, it would probably be fairly obvious when, you know, a bunch of you know, coins were, you know, thrown in there. And so he's noticing, he's watching this. And then... Then he watches as this poor widow, as she is described for us, puts in two small copper coins um, that, that the Bible tells us like add up to a penny, right? So we're talking, um, in terms of financial giving, it was insignificant at best. And it, it's interesting to me that... Um, that that amount of money that he noticed her giving that day was hardly worth noting in the books. And yet it is noted for us in the book to forever celebrate this woman's generosity. Incredible. And, and, and then... Jesus, you know, he's watching this happen and sees, you know, these, these guys, you know, throwing this money and he sees this, this woman come and just tink, you know. And, um, and then he calls his disciples over. He says, hey guys, come here. He says, see them? He says, see that woman right there? See, so the truth is that she gave more, more than all those other people. Because they gave something out of their wealth, and she gave everything out of her poverty. It's noted in, in as he's describing this story that she gave that those, those that you know that, that penny or that little, you know, little bit was was all that she had that she gave. Others gave what they could spare, and she spared nothing. In her giving that day. And, and I love that story. And that's it. That's the whole story. That's the whole picture that we have of that day with Jesus. And, and what I love about that is that Jesus chooses to use this poor woman's meager offering as an example for his disciples and thereby an example for all of us 
of what generosity looks like. Isn't that great? Because you, you might be, you know, if you're going, well, if I'm telling a story about generosity. I would talk about the person who gave half of their income and they, you know, or, but it's like, no, no, no. See her? That is a picture of generosity. You see, generosity is really an issue of the heart. And what happened in that story, what happened that day as Jesus was watching these people is that he saw beyond like the clinking of money going into this canister and what he saw was the heart. And her outward giving put on display what was really going on in her heart, a heart of generosity. Now, as we continue in this series, uh, we're kind of back to it after a little bit of a break in, in uh, you know, our, our family spirit series, Walking Through the Book of Acts. Um, I want us to invest just a few more weeks to explore the description of the church that we find at the end of, chapter, of Acts chapter 2. Now, if you've been here during the series, you might go, Jim, you're beating the end of chapter 2 to death. I mean, we've already, we've already been here. We've already spent like four weeks talking about you know, this one little piece at the end of Acts chapter 2. But here's the thing. That one description has so much packed in it that we needed to sort of break it up and to talk about you know, things like what does it mean to devote yourself to teaching and to fellowship and to breaking bread and to prayer. But there's more in there. There's a couple of other things that I think are crucial to this picture of the church that we need to, to explore together. And so today what I want to do is I want us to consider the generosity that marked the early church. The generosity that marked the early church. Let me, let me just read it for you again. And, and, and this time I want you to listen for the generosity that began to arise in that early church. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, here's what God's word says. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the, need, the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. One of the ways that the Spirit of God helped the church was by transforming them or changing them from the inside out. And in this case, by, by changing natural self-interest and self-preservation into unnatural generosity. And it's pretty awesome to see. But let's just be honest. It can be uncomfortable to, to look at what was happening in the early church. It, it can be uncomfortable to hear about the sacrificial giving of that church, right? Because it says they were selling their stuff. They were selling their stuff. And, and, and they were bringing it in. And, and then it was like, it was sort of put in this, in this pot to where everybody who had need, their needs could be met. And, and I don't know about you, but sort of our visceral reaction is, whoa, whoa, is that even okay? That's socialism. No. 
It is the Spirit of God implanting generosity, implanting the generosity of God into the people of God. Sorry, I messed up. Let me say that again. What's happening is the Spirit of God is implanting the generosity of God into the people of God. That's what's happening. But it kind of freaks us out, right? And, 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 there's, and there might be this tendency for some of us to jump to, whoa, 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 wait, wait a second, wait a second. What about my needs? Whoa, whoa, wait, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. What about the people who won't work? What, what about them? That's, that's not right. What about, what about taking care of your own family? What, what about that? Right? It's so easy to like immediately go to, whoa, 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 and miss the beautiful picture of generosity that the Spirit of God is bringing out in the early church. So before you go, whoa, 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 wait, that's not realistic for today. That was then, and this is now. Before you go there, just sit back for a moment and take a look at the beautiful picture that is being painted for us of a church that is filled with the Spirit of God and generosity. It's pretty awesome. And that's not the only description. It gets worse. <laughs> Two chapters later, Acts chapter 4, verse 32, listen to what it says. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and great grace was upon them. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called um, by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyrus, a Cyprus, sorry, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. <laughs> People were like selling land and homes. And, and there was not a needy one among them, it says. That's crazy. Should we be afraid or inspired? Now, I do want to say this. That what we read here in these couple of passages and other places in Scripture is, is not a prescription, but a description of what was happening. Does that make sense? It's describing what was happening, not prescribing that the way it must happen. Does that make sense? So in other words, you know, it's not prescribing that, okay, church, you, you sell your homes, it's describing what they were doing in their circumstances. And it's also describing in that circumstance what generosity looked like. And it begs the question, what does generosity look like then in our culture, in our day, as the Spirit of God works in us? 
clearly, clearly something was happening at a heart level in those ordinary people like you and me as they were being transformed into generous givers. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to look at what that kind of, where that kind of generosity comes from and, and the challenge of living that way. Okay, so, so here's the first thing I want to talk about. If you're taking notes, let's consider the source, the source of generosity, okay? Where does this kind of generosity come from? And I would say, and I believe, that the source of generosity is God. In fact, from the beginning to the end of the Bible, the picture it paints for us, the description we have of God is the one of, of generosity and giving. In fact, the Bible tells us in, in, in Genesis that when God finishes, completes creation, he says to those first people, there you go. I've made all of this enjoy. It's yours to enjoy. And then when those first people decided to rebel against, turn away from God, he continued to give. In fact, there's a verse that's probably familiar to many of us in this room that describes the heart of God and really what the remainder of Scripture communicates. And that's found in John chapter 3, verse 16, where it says, For God so loved the world that he, what? That he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved that he gave. Generosity is God's nature. It's the natural outflow of his love. God loves so much that he gives so much. Here's the thing. You can, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. Love prompts us to give of ourselves to the one we love. And the Bible is the story of God's generosity. He is the giver. And if we are ever, ever going to become truly generous people, then we must start at the source. We must come to God. We must come to God the one who invented generosity, whose nature is generosity. It all begins with him and with receiving his generous gift of life through Jesus. Now in Matthew chapter 20, Jesus does tell a story. It's what we call a parable, right? And this parable, he's talking about God's generous invitation to enter his kingdom. Listen to this story he tells. He said, a, a landowner went out in the morning and he hired some people to come and work in his fields and he promised them to give them a good day's wage to come and work for him. So they come out and they begin working in the fields. And then, the, and then he goes on in the story and says, and that same landowner went out multiple times that day, found other people and, and had them go out into his fields and said, I'll pay you a good day's wage. In fact, he continued to do this right up until... There was only one hour left in the day. 
It was almost quitting time, and there were still some who came and started to work. They worked for an hour. And then Jesus tells a story. He comes to the end of the day, and the landowner calls all of the laborers together, and beginning with those who were hired last, who had worked for an hour, he begins to give out their wages. And to those who were hired last, Jesus said, he gave a full day's wages. Now, I would imagine that those who were hired first at that moment were going, this is going to be good, right? Because if he's giving them a full day's wages, what in the world am I going to get, right? Because I've worked all day long. It's bonus time. But that's not what happens. He, He comes to each and every one of them, and he gives them all a full day's wages, And in the story, we're told that the people were ticked off. The people who were hired at first, that is. And and you can imagine what they're thinking, right? And they're thinking this, that's not fair. (laughs) That's not fair! Right? Wait a second. When you came to work for me, was I going, did I promise to pay you a good full day's wage? Yes. But that's not fair. Right? And so Jesus ends his story in Matthew chapter 20, verse 15. And the landowner says this to those who are ticked off. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? Do you begrudge my generosity? If I choose to bless these people, if I choose to be generous, do you begrudge that? You see, that landowner in the story represents God, and he is more generous than we know, and if we're honest, more generous than sometimes we're comfortable with. (laughs) He is extravagantly generous, even to the point that we might say, but that's not fair. And usually when we say that's not fair, we're not talking about me, we're talking about somebody else. (laughs) Right? Because if, if I receive... Your overwhelming generosity, that's awesome. And God's generosity is motivated by love. You see, when we come into a relationship with Jesus, we become recipients of that generosity, which then frees us to extend that same generosity to others. Jesus said it this way in in Matthew chapter 10. Freely you have received, so freely give, right? You've received this overwhelming generosity from God, so now give it away. So the whole point is the source of generosity is God. But now, let's just, let's just be honest. Let's be real about the struggle. The struggle of generosity. The people we read about in Acts who were selling their stuff and meeting the needs of one another were not superhuman. Generosity was no more natural for them than it is for you and me. Because we can read like this and go, oh yeah, like they were like 
we elevate them. Here's the, here's the reality. To differing degrees, we all, we all struggle with security, selfishness, control, and trust. Right? Let me just say that again. To one degree or another, we all, we all struggle with security, selfishness, control, and trust. Does that sound familiar? Yeah. And here's the thing. Living generously collides with all of those. (laughs) Generosity goes against all of those realities. So if you think that everybody in that church was somehow extraordinarily generous on their own, they weren't. In fact, they were as broken and as flawed as we are. In fact, in just a few weeks, we're going to come to Acts chapter 5, where we are going to see a couple who wanted so badly to appear to be generous. And it did not end so well for them. I'll just leave it at that. We'll talk about it in a few weeks. You see, this generosity thing is a struggle. And we need to be honest about that. So I don't want to get up here and preach some kind of message where you go, well, look at what the church was doing back then. Let's do it too. Amen. Right? Let's let's just be honest that this is hard stuff. We wrestle with this. In fact, Even if hearing me read those two passages, and so far this message, what I've said already, is making you feel a little uncomfortable right now, I just want you to know that's okay. I get it. Generosity can be a struggle in our souls, in our hearts. And where the battle is waged is right here, in the heart. Scripture says. Self-preservation and self-interest are struggles that we all face. No matter how much or how little you make. It has absolutely nothing to do with how much or little. Taking, for example, Jesus' example of generosity. It has nothing to do with how much you have. It's an issue of the heart. And we begin to ask questions when generosity begins to knock on the door of our hearts. Like, well, what if, what, what if I step into generosity? What if I step out and do that? If I do something generous and then I don't have enough? What if I don't have enough for me or for my family then? Wait, wait a second. What about, wait, what about... Doesn't the Bible say something about being responsible? About planning ahead? Like, what about tomorrow? How do you, I don't know. It's a battle. It's a struggle. Let's just be honest about it. These are very, very real fears. And as we struggle 
with God's call to generosity. It is vital, it is vital that we understand the concept of stewardship. Stewardship. Now, we don't usually use, you probably didn't use that word this week. I am a steward. You know, you, we, we don't talk like that. You know, in, in our you know, common language, we use words like a manager or a, a caretaker to describe the job of one person handling somebody else's stuff or somebody else's finances, right? You're a manager of their stuff. But the scripture uses a word like you know, stewardship to be a steward. Financial managers understand the responsibility of handling other people's possessions with their interests in mind, right? If you're, if you're a financial manager or if you manage somebody else's stuff, you understand that I, it's not mine and I'm taking care of this in the interest of the owner, right? That's the idea of being a steward. And the Bible says that we are all stewards. We are all managers of God's stuff. We have all been given opportunities and information and relationships and abilities and finances which we are to manage and steward. David prayed this. I love this. Back in the Old Testament, 1 Chronicles, David had this prayer. Right at the very end of the book, he says this. Praise this. 1 Chronicles 29. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you and you you rule over all. In your hand are power and might And in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, O God, and praise your glorious name. But who am I and what is my people that we should be able to thus, uh, that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you and of your own we have given you. Right? I love that prayer. And that prayer describes the concept of stewardship, right? David is praying and saying, it's all yours, God. Even when we give something to you, it's like I'm giving you what's already yours. It's the concept of stewardship. God, everything is yours. We only give you what came from you in the first place, right? Funny story, I I haven't thought about this in years, and it just came up this week in, in our discipleship group. We were having dinner, we were starting with dinner, and over dinner, um, I don't even know who brought this up or how it came up, but, but we were talking about bad experiences in Las Vegas. I don't know where this came from, but we started talking about this. And so I shared um, a story I, I mean, thought about forever. My only experience in Las Vegas was when I was, I was 16 years old, and we were on like a family vacation. We are going to like um, the Grand Canyon, and we stopped in Las Vegas for a day. And, uh, and knowing that we were going there, so I'm 16, I, uh, you know, I was working, and, and, I, and I brought 20 bucks with me. And I thought, I, I'm going to bring $20, and I am going to give it to the one-armed bandit. You, you guys know what that means? 
Back in the day, slot machines, you know, had the, had the big, you know, lever on the side, and you'd pull that thing down, right? And it would, they would call it a one-armed bandit, you know? So I thought, I, I've got a strategy. And so and I, and I was 16, so I couldn't go inside, you know, the, the, the you know, place. And so I give my money, my 20, my, now $20 back, this was the 80s, $20 then, this was like $20,000 today. It kind of feels like that, doesn't it? Okay. Anyways, 20 bucks. And I give it to my mom. My money, you are now the steward. And I explained to her the plan. Because there was windows in the front of this casino. And I said, and there were like slot machines right there. And I said, I'm going to direct you where I want you to go. And I had a strategy. I was going to sit there. I was going to watch for a while. Somebody who's going to like put a bunch of money into one of those machines and then walk away. And that's the one I'm going to direct her to. And so, and I told her, I said, go in and cash this in. This $20, I want you to get silver dollars because I'm going bigger going home. So she got silver dollars and she went to the silver dollar machine. And I'm standing outside and she's waiting. And I, I'm like watching somebody. I see somebody put a bunch of money in. They walk away and I go, but that one. And, and so my mom goes over and she starts putting, and she, dollar, you know, and the third one, she pulls down that arm, and all of a sudden it goes, ching, 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 ching. She got this little, like, bucket, and $50 comes out. And, and, th- and this is like real money at that time. It's like, you know, actual silver dollars. Comes rolling $50. And I'm outside going, stop, stop. But I see this look in my mom's eyes. And when that, when that machine started going, ding, 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 lights started flashing and money started coming out, she went into a trance. I mean, I could see it. And it was like, she like turned around and looked at me, but her eyes were not seeing me. And she was like, oh. and she, she reached it. And I'm out, the, I'm jumping, stop, stop. Because I'm, I'm going, this is never going to happen again. I'm up $50. And she grabs that thing and she starts chink, 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 and puts it all back in the machine. I wonder if God feels like that sometimes. You're my managers, my stewards of my stuff. Here you go. I want you to use this. I want you to steward this with my interests in mind. I want you to follow my direction. I wonder if he feels like that sometimes. You see, it's hard to believe. You see, the Bible says everything is God's, and it's hard to believe that, isn't it? Because everything tells me that it's mine. The paycheck, whose name is on it? Mine. My bank account, whose name is on it? Mine. I worked for that. And then we have to bring ourselves back to the place to say, wait a sec, where did the the mind, where did the strength, where did the life to work come from in the first place? Oh, yeah. God is the source. So when my mindset switches from owner 
to steward, then my fears, my struggles can be put in their proper, proper perspective. God, help me manage your stuff with your priorities in mind. That's the thought process of a steward, a manager. And that begins to subside the fears when I realize this isn't mine. But that doesn't make the struggle go away. It doesn't make the struggle go away. It just puts it in the right context. Living generously will still be a struggle because there is a constant battle with what the Bible refers to as our flesh. There's a constant battle with it. With our selfish desires, as the Bible describes. So we've talked about the source and the struggle of generosity. Now I, I just want to finish up by talking about the spirit of generosity. Ephesians chapter 4 talks about this battle. It says this in verse 20. But that, but that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. When you put your faith in Jesus, the Bible says that you become a new person, a new self. You are forgiven, you are made right with God, and you are given his spirit to change you from the inside out. You will still struggle with your old self, but now you have help, a helper. Ephesians says to put off your old self and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new you in Christ. And that's where the battle lies. That's where the struggle is. Putting off my old self-serving, self-protecting self and putting on the person I am in Jesus. And we are not going to do this. You are not going to do this perfectly. I do not do this perfectly. It is a process that involves struggle and surrender. And the battle is waged in our minds. A mind that must be renewed by the truth of God. Because there are so many untrue things that I've come to believe. Like, it's mine. Like, I'm in charge of my security. Like, all of those things, we begin to believe these untrue things that begins to motivate the way we act. And those untrue things need to be replaced by true things. The truth about God, the truth about myself that God owns it all, that I'm a steward, that he cares for me, that he's my provider. And that happens one thought at a time, one day at a time, one moment at a time, this replacing lies with truth, the renewing of my mind, putting off the old me and putting on the new person in Christ. And becoming in that process more and more like Jesus and you know who Jesus is? He's generous and loving. 
So you are not left to yourself to put off your old self and to put on the new. You're not left to yourself in this struggle over me versus others, in this struggle in my heart and my mind. You are given help, the Spirit, to help you put that to death and to help teach you his generous ways. So inspired by the Spirit's work of implanting generosity in the early church, that's where we began this whole journey, inspired by that, we've taken a look at the source, the struggle, and the spirit of generosity. And since God's generous heart hasn't changed, then that means this, that God still calls his people, his church, to take on his generosity, to be generous, just as we read in Scripture. He wants to make you generous, and he wants to make me generous like him. Let me wrap this up by telling you a story about the very first time, at least that I remember, the very first time in my walk with Jesus when the owner asked me, the steward, to do something with his stuff. And it happened when I was 17 years old. I I became a follower of Jesus at 13. I was now 17. And, uh, and at 17 years old, I'm in high school, I, I'm you know, just about to graduate, and I'm working uh, all the time because I know that I need to pay my way through college. And so I'm working, and literally, like I never cashed a paycheck. My paychecks went right in the bank because I'm saving money, because back then, you could actually, like if you saved and you worked, you could actually pay your way through college. That's not reality anymore. But back then, even at a Christian you know, private school, I could, you could do that. So I, was, I started, when I first started working at 15, and I'm saving every paycheck, saving every paycheck. And now, I had developed, I was a follower of Jesus. I had been taught early on in my faith this, this concept of tithing, uh, of giving 10% of what I make to, to my local church. And I, 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 even at 16, 17, I was already doing that in my job. I was, it was like a regular practice in my life. But I, I didn't really see that necessarily as like generosity. It was more like just obedience and just being faithful to what God had said. And then one day, and then one day, I'm just innocently walking along, and the Spirit of God prompts me in an undeniable way to be generous. So I was at church one day, and, and there was this, uh, so I'm 17, there's this, you know, this friend I have who's married, so they're a little bit older, they're newlywed kind of people, couple, and, and I overhear him talking to somebody else about wanting to go to this marriage conference that was coming up, and, and, and I heard him say that, well, we can't really go because we don't have the money for it. And the instant I heard that we didn't have the money for it, the Spirit of God said, you buy it for them. And I'm thinking, who? Because this, I mean, this was, you know, it, what it would have meant was that that month, so my month of working, would not go into my college fund. It would go to pay for those people. And, and, and the prompting was this. You pay for it anonymously. Oh. Like nobody's even going to know it. And thankfully, in that first prompting that I ever remember, um, I, 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 I did. I, I acted out of the generosity of God in me. 
And, and I discovered for the first time the joy of generosity. To just do that, they never knew. And, and, and the next week, I heard him like talking about how God had provided for them and how amazing it was. And God chose to provide for them in that instance through me, through his generosity. And there was something about that that went, wow. God, is this what it, is this what it feels like for you to generously give to us? That's incredible. Now, I share that story, but I want you to know that throughout my journey with Jesus, I have gone up and down with that. It's not been up and to the right, and wow, how generous. There are times when the Spirit prompts me with generosity, and my old self, my selfishness, my I got to control, I got to take care of things I'm thinking about tomorrow, wins the day. And there are other times when I surrender and I go, yes, I want to be a conduit of your generosity through me. And I want you to know that the Spirit of God wants to help you experience the freedom and the joy of generosity. He wants to do that in you. He wants to do that in his church right here. He wants to begin opening our eyes to see the needs of people around us. You see, it's interesting that you have to tie in the fact that they were committed to knowing each other. They were committed to fellowship. They were eating together. And so they knew the needs that were around them. And the Spirit of God could prompt their hearts to meet those needs. And God wants to do that now. He wants to call us to, to be conduits of his generosity. But we have to come to the Spirit and say, would you help me in my struggle? Would you help me have a heart of generosity? Will you help me trust in your provision when it doesn't make sense? That's what God wants to do in you and he wants to do in me. Would you stand with me? I don't know how you're feeling right now. This is one of those messages that you have to sort of sit with and allow the Spirit of God to speak. And it's easy to go, oh, I think that message was for somebody else. <laughs> but if you're a follower of Jesus, the message is for you because the Spirit lives in you and the Spirit wants to change you, transform you from the inside out. And one of those aspects of changing is to make you generous like God is generous in every aspect of life. That's what he wants to do in you. Are you open to that? Are you willing to surrender or to walk through the struggle and to ask for help as God transforms you and uses you. I want to end today by praying a blessing over you, a blessing that comes right out of 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7. Would you bow your heads with me? God, I pray that by your grace... And through your spirit, may the individuals in this family excel in everything. In faith, in speech, in knowledge, 
and in complete earnestness. And I pray that you will excel in love for others. And I also pray a blessing that you may also excel in the grace of giving, in the grace of generosity. I bless you with generous hearts. I bless you with soft hearts in the hands of the Spirit. I bless you with transformation from the inside out. May you excel in generosity. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 It was so good to be with you together, family. If you have something you want somebody to pray for, if you need something from Jesus today in prayer, we have a prayer team who's going to be up here. We would love to pray with you. Please come up. God bless you.